And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles' exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening and hopefully you've been enjoying the wrestling over the last week or so. Honestly, I sure as hell have, especially when it comes to AEW. That's where I want to start off first. Because I think it's time to address one superstar in particular, one that's drawn a lot of divisiveness in the wrestling community, and that is one Orange Cassidy, the man that one Jim Cornette likes to call his little dog pockets. And I will preface this by saying I understand. There's a lot of complaints about him, and I understand. Because obviously he is a very different kind of character it's definitely a comedy gimmick but at the same time why are we continually dumping on him whenever we dump on we could dump on guys like santino morella dump on cole cabana but we don't because of their comedy gimmick yes orange cassie is a comedy character it's comedy bs and people want to say it's a middle finger to professional wrestling but here's the thing you need some levity in wrestling. I saw a clip from Chris Van Vliet. He had an interview with Peter Avalon and Peter Avalon hands down is a phenomenal comedy wrestler. He's just a great character in general, but he had an interview and mentioned the fact that he'd much rather a show that's like the Muppets versus something that's presented more like a sports oriented show. And I think you can have a little bit of the best of both worlds. And Orange Cassidy is a clear example of that with his King of Sloth style, the slow motion kick, the kicks of doom, all that stuff. But tell me you aren't entertained whenever you see him in the ring. At the end of the day, if you're a pro wrestler, you want to entertain the fans that are in the building and also the people at home and put on a really good match. And ever since his first match in AEW, he's had some really good matches in the Indies, but obviously this is the first time he's being seen on a massive scale. It's clear to see that he has been able to put on some phenomenal matches with a variety of different guys. He had his first one-on-one with Pac at Revolution 2020, and that was a really good match because it was the departure from the comedy guy who was just doing the lackadaisical kicks and all that stuff. You got to see Orange Cassidy try. You saw him put forth effort. And he continues to show that every now and again, where he has that moment, has that match, where he shows, hey, I can show emotion. I can emote. I can actually be a person that's going to kind of make you believe he has a chance to win. And more importantly, have an opportunity to get it done. Look at his feud with Chris Jericho. He had a Mimosa Mayhem match, which probably deserves a little bit more credit back in 2020. They did a really good job putting it all together. And the fact that they were able to do that while not having to spend like God knows how much time cleaning up the ringside area. Then again, COVID-19, all that stuff. I'm sure maybe that was taped a little bit before some of the other matches on the card that were left. From, at least it's from what I can remember. It's been a while since I've watched that match. But then you have him have some really fun matches, fun feuds, like Adam Cole had a really good feud with him. Then when he came back from his injury, he had probably one of the best matches 
on Forbidden Door's card. And that's saying something when you have FTR put on a phenomenal three-way tag. You have a great main event and also a technical masterpiece, in my mind, of Cesaro and ZSJ, which I would love to see again. And then we get to AEW Dynamite this past Wednesday. And that's kind of what started the conversation for me. Because I immediately said two things. One, the fact that I think Jim Cornette, I could feel him screaming at his TV when he sees this match. Because then he doesn't watch live. He watches it taped. Which I think is a good thing for him. Because I think he'd have a full-blown aneurysm if he watched it live. And here's the thing. It was a really good match between Orange and Wardlow. Where Wardlow was kind of caught off guard and shook by Cassidy and the gimmick that he has. But then you actually start getting into the match. And after the first five minutes, it is, in my mind, that was the best match of the night. Jake Hager and Claudio Castagnoli could have been better. And the the three-way tag team title match was good, not necessarily great. It was a big surprise seeing Swerve and our glory actually win the titles because I thought they would have gone with the end game of winner take all at all out. But again, they could kind of, go in that direction if they want to they can still do that there's plenty of time between now and September hell you could not have it all the titles but I think it'd be a whole lot of fun to see that again that's just me personally but going back to the match Orange Cassie and Wardlow put on a phenomenal opener that I think further proves why I think people dump on Orange Cassie like crazy because of the comedy gimmick but I think they fail to realize that he's hands down one of the best guys on the roster that can carry anybody to a good match. And as the fact that he's worked a lot of different styles, yes, he is a comedy wrestler. Yes, there's comedy BS in there. But at the end of the day, he makes people believe. He sells very well. And the way they work that, where you thought for a split second that Orange was going to win the TNT title off of... Wardlow after the beach break. Tell me you weren't kind of thinking that for even a moment in time. And he didn't have to do flips and 630s and all that stuff. He just put on a really good match and took Wardlow probably for the first time in his career to the limit. Like there's been cases where he's been able to kind of mow through people like William Morrissey, like Lance Archer, those guys. He was able to kind of, relatively speaking, mow through those guys. But he goes up against Cassidy, somebody who's who seems like on paper he can mop the floor with in a regular match. But Orange Cassidy really showed that he can put on a really good match with anybody. And this is, to a certain extent, a lot like, and I'm going to go ahead and make a weird comparison here, but kind of follow along with me. One of the things that hurt Goldberg was the fact that he couldn't work a match more than 5-10 minutes. There's no doubt in my mind that something that hurt him a lot in WCW because they had to book around that. They had to kind of accentuate those positives and hide the negatives. And it's hard to do that, especially when you are a top-flight world heavyweight champion. You need to have those matches to go 10-15 minutes to fit the end of that card and get people invested. Wardlow's never really had that. He came close with that TNT title match after everything going on with the MGF angle. But I think 
this further establishes that statement just a little bit more in my point of view. And I think Orange Cassidy deserves a little bit more love and not nearly as much hate. I understand he's going to be divisive and some people have their minds made up. Looking at you, I'm, uh, Jim Cornette. He's one guy that's absolutely going to hate anything that he does because he's already made up his mind. But I think some need to say, hey, let's go ahead and move on. Let's go ahead and piece this all together and say, hey, he's doing a really good job and he's very entertaining, but also he's one of those guys. He's never going to be a champion. He never will need to be a champion, but he's a guy that can really establish somebody and put him over. The match he had with Wardlow, that established him as a guy of the future because you know he can keep up. Because AEW is very much a workers' company. We always talk about work rate. The matches AEW is putting on versus what we're seeing in WWE, Impact, even to a certain extent, Ring of Honor before they got bought out by AEW. It's all about the work rate. It's about putting together the best match possible from top to bottom. This was a prime example of why AEW is doing it right. And you have somebody like Wardlow, who you're not sure if he can go that long of a match, at least in my mind. That expectation, that thought, that's shattered in my in my humble opinion. And that's what I like about Orange Cassidy. He is probably one of the best hands in AEW. And yes, he he's not going to win a title anytime soon, but it doesn't necessarily affect where he stands. Meanwhile, I want to flip it over to possibly one of the most head-scratching moves I think NXT 2.0 has done in the last year. And I hadn't been watching the last few weeks, but I had been keeping tabs on one person in particular, and that's Roxanne Perez, the former Roxy from Ring of Honor and also a brief time in Impact during that weird period of time where Ring of Honor wasn't doing shows and had that partnership with Impact, and then they got bought out by AEW. And then that weird time frame, Rox San Perez tries it out for the WWE and gets an opportunity to be part of NXT 2.0. And there's no doubt about it that she is a bona fide star. She needs a l- probably a little bit more seasoning, but she is right there on the precipice. And she's gotten pushed pretty much to the moon at this point in time. And then we get to last week, you have Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez win the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Remember that. You had them win the NXT Women's Tag Team titles a week ago. And then we get to this week when it was teased and hyped up. That she was going to cash in an opportunity from winning the NXT breakout tournament against Mandy Rose to take her title. She gets attacked outside the parking lot, which is where you never want to be in NXT, be it the original, the black and gold, or the new era of NXT. You never, ever, ever want to be in a arena or a parking lot 
in NXT. Never want to do that. So she gets attacked before the show even gets started. So it looks like she's not going to be in the match. Everybody's, oh, she's out. She's not going to be able to compete. Toxic Attraction cuts a promo. Then Cora Jade comes out, says something. But then Roxanne Perez walks out for her title match. Even with the taped up ribs, she hits, She puts on a really good match with Mandy Rose. Hits Pop Rocks on the outside and looks like she's going to take control and win the NXT Women's Championship. But all of a sudden, Cora Jade attacked. Attacked. You heard me right. Attacked her tag team partner with the NXT Women's title and Mandy Rose won the match with the V-Trigger, essentially. And then Jade broke her skateboard, even though the skateboard broke just moments before. It actually did hit skin. And it's like, what the hell? And you had this whole thing where basically Cora Jade screamed that she made her a star. It's very strange to see that. Is what's the point? What's the point of doing that? Now, I get it if you have, let's say, Roxanne Perez take on Mandy Rose the week before or something, and they lose that, and then they have the women's tag team opportunity, and then Cora J turns on her there. But you gave them the women's tag team titles, and you have them turn heel? Like, that's the kind of ass-backwards booking that makes fans start to tune out. And this kind of goes back to John Moxley's last year in WWE. You had him come back. You had him be part of a Shield reunion. Then Roman Reigns goes away with the leukemia diagnosis and all that stuff. And at the end of the show, you have him turn heel on Seth Rollins after winning the tag team titles. Again, it makes zero sense at all, that angle. I still, to this day, don't understand what that thought process was. And why that was even a thing. I still am just mind-boggled by that. Now, yes, you had that angle where Ambrose was frustrated, but at the same time, you why have them win the tag titles and then Ambrose turns on them? Going back to that angle from late 2018, early 2019, which was a big reason why he wanted out. Then you have this. It's the same exact thing. You kind of started to establish these two as being best friends, putting them over and being the plucky young baby faces. And then you do that. It made no sense and didn't help anybody at all, at least from my point of view. Very much a head-scratching moment, but then again, WWE loves to do this kind of stuff. Speaking of which, you have Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yeah, you're in you're in Nashville, Tennessee, and now you've got him being the special guest referee for the undisputed tag team title match against the Street Profits. That should always be interesting, at least in my mind. But I get to one more thing here before we kind of wrap up this week's edition of the podcast. And it's about the rumor and innuendo about the WWE moving over to TV 14 for the first time since 2008. 
This is coming from Andrew Zarian of the Matt Men Podcast, a very reliable source saying that WWE is considering a change that would see Raw become a TV-14 rated show on the USA Network, meaning that this will be the first time since 2008 that a WWE program would be moving to TV-14 after being TV-PG for so long. Now, Andrew Zarian wound up also kind of posting an update saying on July 14th that this wound up not being true. It was supposed to be happening on July 18th, but they won't be doing that. And it, But it's still in consideration for a later date. So let's kind of go through where how we got to this point and go back to the whole TV-14 versus TV-PG debate. And I can understand a lot of different sides on this. But I think WWE needs to do this. Because I think they need to have that cyclical thing, if you will. Because you go back to the Monday Night Wars. Just as things were getting started where you had WWE Raw. And it was very much, I'd say, the WWF from the time Hulkamania was running wild until about 1997. The product was very much Saturday morning cartoon. It got, wait for it, children into the show. It got kids invested in the product. And guess what they did? They bought the video games. They bought damn near every action figure. They bought the magazines. They did all that. But then they got older. And they weren't necessarily a huge fan of the cookie cutter, all American hero babyface like they were when they were kids. Then you kind of make it a little bit more of an edgy product because you kind of had to. WCW was starting to push the envelope a little bit more, but obviously they were kind of neutered compared to maybe what we saw with WWE whenever they went to that during the Monday Night Wars in late 97 till about 2008. But I think they wound up toning it down even more before that official date. So we had that Attitude Era peak. Everybody's into it. The kids are into it because, especially the, the young adults, which is one of the most important demographics when it comes to ratings. People talk about it. the 18 to 34 demo is the most important thing that any company can have. And a TV 14 rating would wind up probably being a good thing because I think in some cases, those kids that started to get into the programs during 2008, 2009, 2010, they're getting older and more importantly, they may be getting a little bit more jaded with how the WWE has been presenting itself for the better part of a decade. And damn near a decade and a half at this point. Now, when they changed to PG, it made all the sense in the world because you're trying to distance yourself from uh, all the controversies that were starting to pop up over that year. Because it wasn't just the Chris Benoit stuff. I'll mention his name just because that's the biggest reason why it happened. But you also pay attention to around that time frame. You had him. Sensational Sherry pass away around that time. And a lot of others were starting to pass away at a very rapid pace. And all that kind of created an imperfect storm to attack the WWE. 
a lot like what we saw in the 90s, but instead of the parents' television council, it's mainstream news, Fox News, CNN. CNN did a whole piece about WWE. You had two years before the Benoit stuff, Eddie Guerrero passed away due to heart attack. Was it due to steroids? I'm not going to speculate on that, but you can kind of do your own research. It was due to an enlarged heart defect and all that stuff, but still. All these guys passing away at very young ages. That was put under a big microscope by mainstream media. And the WWE pretty much had to do like anybody else in that situation and pivot and make sure they are avoiding even more ridicule and the entire mainstream world putting them under the old microscope. And then WWE decided they're going to go PG doing away with the blood, not nearly as much cursing, but you also were kind of playing a certain role in the way WWE has been done. And they've skirted around it to a certain degree when they do certain angles, but they don't do it all the time. Like during the road to WrestleMania with Seth Rollins, where he said this is BS, but didn't say BS, actually said the word, not the abbreviations like I am right now, but said it. They bleeped it out, but still. In fact, you said it probably didn't make the USA Network too happy. But the fact they could make it a TV 14 rated show, I think that's more of a cover your ass type situation if it does indeed happen. That way, If you do want to say bullshit or you want to have them drop an S-bomb, maybe bring in some double entendre type stuff like you've been doing with the Miz angle and him having tiny balls. You can actually do that. And it probably will be a-okay. It's just making sure that the USA Network is saying, hey, it's TV 14. Young kids, the viewer discretion is advised. And then they probably wind up watching it. Because, let's be honest, if you tell a kid not to watch it, they're probably going to wind up watching it, right? At least in my mind. But it's interesting to see how that all happened. And the fact that it was rumored and then kind of debunked and now we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. If we are actually going to see WWE Raw or even NXT to a certain extent, go in that direction again. What's the likelihood of that happening? I'd say probably 60, 65% tops. Because I think the only thing that's really holding it back is that other show on Friday nights on Fox. Because I don't think WWE and especially Fox, doesn't want to have a TV-14 show be its flagship on a Friday night. There's a way you could probably do it, but I'm sure they'd much rather it be a lot like what we saw with... I mean, there there was such a difference. Yes, both shows were rated TV-14 at the time, from what I can remember. But SmackDown in the Attitude Era was a lot more subdued. There were a lot more bleeps. Mind you, it was pre-tapes. You were able to bleep things. But it felt, comparatively speaking, 
Like you watch Monday Night Raw and it was a gritty, grimy show. SmackDown was more, I'd say, accepted. Comparatively speaking, of course, because you saw the more completely outlandish storylines, but SmackDown was more about the wrestling. And yes, you did get some ass and hell and all that stuff, but it was more subdued, bleeped out on occasion. Mind you, you have almost every week now, women calling each other bitches. It's just how it is. But when it comes to the whole moving over to TV 14 and if it's actually going to change the ratings, because at the end of the day, that's what WWE wants is to have the best ratings possible. Honestly, I don't think it's going to, if they do it just for raw, I don't think it changes it all that much. You know, it will change it, but they won't do it. Go back to two hours. That's the biggest thing holding back the WWE from being a juggernaut. Because let's be honest, three hours of wrestling is a slog to get through. Even if you watch it late, I guarantee you, you watch it delayed on DVR, you fast forward through all the commercials, all the play, the picture in picture, all that stuff, the entrances, all the other BS that you don't want to see. I guarantee you, you're still going to be watching for an hour and a half. Are you wanting to sit through that hour and a half? It's just a million dollar question that I'm going to ask right now. If you're a wrestling fan, are you sitting through those three hours or are you watching in an hour three when you know what the main event is because you've been following on Twitter or any other social media? That's just the way I see it. But appreciate you listening in to the podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. However, you listen to podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever. You can check us out over there. Also, check us out at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. And also, if you're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave us a five-star review. Why don't you? That way we know, one, you're listening. And number two, you really like us and also helps us get a little bit more love in the algorithm. And if you do write a review, we'll shout you out on the podcast. So until next time, I'm Clint Doming, the world famous CD. We'll be back with more next week. And definitely we're getting in some of the stuff about Ric Flair. And more importantly, we're getting that much closer to SummerSlam. So maybe we'll get some early thoughts on that. Until then, enjoy the wrestling. Enjoy the wrestling.